0: Hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. And unlike every other pod I'm involved in, has no interest in the Roy in, Roy out debate. I'm Kevin Day. He is Liverpool University's Kieran McGuire. Seriously, Croydon. I was, uh, se- Croydon. Seriously, Kieran. I was in. I was in Croydon yesterday. And two people just sidled up to me and out of the corner of their mouth went, Roy in, Roy out it's like me I'm, I'm queuing I'm queuing for Waitrose this is not the time or place basically um, oh, hold, it, hold f- it
1: you
2: say Waitrose you
1: just give, it, give say- it
0: away that you've joined the
2: uh, you've, you've joined the Conjus
0: uh, uh, Kieran I'm, I've always been with, with Nye Bevan only the best for the working classes Kieran it's, it's it's the peasants that make the champagne it should be the peasants that drink the champagne uh, the, the fact that you and I have never actually produced anything in our entire life is neither it's neither here nor there <laughs> <laughs> um, Later in this episode, Kieran, we will hear from Brett Johnson, the new owner of Ipswich Town, uh, and a very, very interesting chat it is. He seems like a very nice man, and he was very open and very honest with us, and I think Ipswich fans will enjoy that conversation. But before that, it's news day. And before that, Kieran, I have one big question, and that is, has your dog Finley got himself a wonky-chomps deal yet?
2: Well, sadly not. So I, w- I was hoping after the... Uh... After his revelations the other day, when he twice decided to interfere with the podcast by, by opening and closing the doors with a wonky chomp, that uh, they might have picked up on him. He, he, he is quite a poster boy as well. He's very photogenic, but uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'm hoping that uh, somebody's uh, tipping him the wink, but not yet. Yeah, he's a
0: handsome little fellow. And I, I hope in my imagination that he once had a relationship with a Bortsoy in Moscow. <laughs> um, uh, do you know, it's just occurred to me, Kieran, that Brett Johnson, the new owner of Ipswich, may be listening to this in America, wondering if he's made a wise decision. <laughs> Roy in, Roy out, wonky chomps. Always. Um, speaking of Ipswich, Kieran, they will no doubt be delighted to learn that Premier League clubs are £83 million better off, thanks to Norwich and Watford.
2: Yes, this is all to do with parachute payments and... Um, we've seen um, Norwich and Watford, uh, deservedly, because ultimately they played played the best football in the division, go straight back up to the Premier League. And, and they could be joined by one of Swansea and uh, Bournemouth, both of whom mm. are also in receipt of parachute payments potentially next season as well. But the reason why this has uh, uh, created what can be best described as a, a minor kerfuffle is that somebody went on Twitter and said, well, you do realise that uh, if, they, if they're they not in receipt of parachute payments next season, that money goes back to the Premier League and it is then shared out between all 20 clubs because it is the Premier League's relegation pot as, as far as they are concerned. And on the back of that, uh, I, I think some people seem to be a bit upset and saying, well, hold on should that money actually be shared out further down the football pyramid uh, there was there's a case for saying it should be given to clubs in the EFL i think there's a bit of an issue here though because the the EFL itself has uh, my understanding it, it has parachute payments and it, it deals with them in exactly the same way so if a club drops out of the EFL and goes into the national league and comes straight back up or if it, uh, you know and uh, then, then the money wouldn't be be split between the clubs. So, I, th- I think it's you know, partly due to this sort of legacy approach. It's a horrible word to use, legacy, mm. these days, since uh, Florentino Perez uh, sort of completely tarnished it. You know, you and I are now legacy football fans, Kevin. We we are not. Uh, we are not what the, uh, the the billionaires are looking for. Mm. Does um,
0: so if if Norwich and Watford. Uh, are promoted as so they have been of course so they're in the Premier League so does that mean they will also get a share of this 83
2: million pounds so will they will they get some of this money anyway yes yes so so, um they would have received it in 2021-22 and Mm. in the case of Watford, 2022-23 um Out of the Premier League's relegation fund, but as they're no longer relegated, that money goes back into the big pot. Um, I think the argument being put forward, and you can understand the merits of it, is that well, you know, that eighty-three million pounds, which could go up to in excess of a hundred if if Bournemouth are also promoted, um, is that better off? further down uh football we, we know that the clubs in the efl have struggled um and and you can see the case that they will put forward uh the premier league will argue will hold on you know we have given grants to clubs in the premier league in leagues one and two we have guaranteed loans to clubs in the championship and also we are losing huge amounts of money ourselves so there, there's there's a case for both sides i think from a public relations point of view it would be a decent thing to do from the Premier League's perspective. I think it would show uh, uh, an indication that uh, when certainly at least some of the clubs in in that division have uh, not conducted themselves in a particularly good light recently to show that, yes, we are aware of, of those who uh, have, have far less wealth than, than we do. So... Um, it, I, I suspect uh, that the Premier League will become very tight-lipped and, and not talk to anybody about this uh, on, on the grounds that if you say nothing, then hopefully people will forget about it. Yeah, it
0: wouldn't only be a good PR move from the six clubs that you're referring to, but considering the other 14 clubs banded the word greed about very often mm. last week, it would be a good PR move from them as well. But obviously, <laughs> if it wasn't during a pandemic, you'd imagine they'd be more inclined to spread the money about. Uh, there's every chance that Bournemouth could come up again, meaning I, I think it would be the first time, you know me research, me and research, that um, all three relegated clubs came straight back. But it's, it it seems to be more proof, Kieran, that, that you know, the, the best way to get into the Premier League is to be relegated from it the previous year, doesn't it?
2: Um, it, it certainly can help on occasion. Um, at the same time, we have seen Sunderland go straight through Sorry. to League One. Wolves <laughs> did the same a few years ago. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, that Bolton Wanderers were in um, in the Premier League, and now they're in League Two. So it, it's it's no guarantee. Um, I, I did. I, I I was watching the the Leicester versus Palace match on Monday night. Oh yeah, um, and you thought you and- had to crowbar that in, did you? And, and as soon as Palace <laughs> scored, I went off in a sulk, as you can imagine. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I'm not going to watch this because this, this could really ruin my Monday night. So, so I, 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 I I revved up the old spreadsheet um, <laughs> just to try to see what would happen if we scrapped parachute payments, gave 25% of the TV deal to the clubs in the EFL, um, which which would be of clearly a benefit to those clubs um we didn't have any of the uh, clubs being able to sell their own rights but that produces huge discrepancies um within the premier league itself and, and and the gap that exists is is very large so um i thought well hold on let let's let's apply the nfl model and in the nfl um 60% of gate receipts Arts goes to the home club, and forty percent goes into a pool. And remember, this isn't hugely different from where we were in the mid nineteen eighties. Yeah. And also, uh, as far as merchandising uh, receipts are concerned, that money is is pooled as well. So I thought, yeah, let's just see whether the numbers work out. Clubs and I can keep the broadcasting as it is. as far as the premier league is concerned and also those clubs that that qualify for the champions league let them keep all of their broadcast money and and it did produce some some interesting figures it would it would considerably narrow the gap between the top and the bottom at both the Premier League and and the EFL Championship, but the gap between the bottom of the Premier League and the top of the Championship would still be quite significant. So it would address some of the imbalances that we presently have uh, between within divisions. But the the the, the big one, which uh, which which I think gives the EFL clubs most consternation, is um, the the uh, that gap between divisions. Um, so it, it can be done. Certainly, I, I do think that there is there is scope for a better division of wealth. Um, and I, I put this out on social media, and somebody says, "Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, as your Twitter account being taken over by Jeremy Corbyn?" And I'm going, oh, "Well, well, no, it no, it isn't, because it would still mean that the club at the top of the Premier League." has three and a half times the revenue as the side at the bottom, as opposed to presently, where it's it's five times. So it's yeah, you know, it's a question of degree. And if, if we want to have a mature conversation on this, it's not a case of you know, one or ten on a scale. It it needs to be new more nuanced than that. But uh, it, it, I, I suppose there are better ways and better places to debate that than social media. Um, yeah. So, yeah, m- my fault to a certain extent. Well, also,
0: in, in the old days, Kieran, instead of saying, have you been taken away by Jerry McCormick, he, he would have said, well, why don't you go and live in Russia then? And we would have been <laughs> here all day answering that question. Um, if it's any consolation, Kieran, I went off in sulk when Wolf scored on... Monday night as well, because it's was, it was way too early. So, really, what, was, <laughs> what was he thinking of? It's like seriously, when, and it's just typical Palace. Like, well, we've we've done a good thing. Well, we won't do that again for the rest of the game, will we? They've got that off their chest early, but no, we as we know, as you crowbar in Palace losing, you know, I'll crowbar in that. What you really want to do is score in the ninety fifth and a half minute. Away with the your second shot of the match, with the second shot. Of the mean, it's Kieran. It doesn't say that in the in the records at the end of the series, season, does it? Season. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, still with the Premier League, and they want to scrap their upcoming domestic media rights auction. Is that because they know they won't get as much money as they hope? Well,
2: um, that that's partly. Is this this is a this is a story which came from the Financial Times, and, and you know, I think it's indicative of just where we are in the fact uh, that. Yeah, you know, in twenty twenty one, that football's even mentioned in the FT. Because I can assure you, um, when when I first started reading it, was which was a few a very few you know, a good few decades ago, um it, it was just you know not seen as a, as a as anything other than a joke industry. Um but if if we take a look at the the auctions for the the Premier League rights. In twenty thirteen, they went up by seventy percent, and in twenty sixteen, they went up by seventy percent. So there was there was uh, there was Sky and BT who were fighting for space in on, on your on your TV and using the football as a means of doing it, um, and then they realised that actually it's probably probably not a wise way to behave. All we're doing is is we're incurring huge costs, and ultimately there's there's a fixed number of people willing to watch football. So in 2019 the value of the rights fell domestically by 10%. Um and we we should normally have heard about the the new Premier League TV deal um that's due to start in 2022. So we're only yeah we're only you know 14 15 months before that kicks in. Um reading the financial times it, it sort of hinted that there were some clubs, um, and I think we can guess which six clubs this might involve, <laughs> um, some clubs would seem to be wanting to delay those negotiations. Um, and this is because the reason why Sky and BT played the rights. A, you know some of the football is absolutely amazing and the coverage I think from both channels is, is top draw. Um, but the fight for Champions League places does drive a lot of interest in terms of viewing figures. And of course, what would not be happening next season would be the fight for the top four, because if the six clubs have got their way, uh, they, they've automatically qualified. So, so you know, why are we watching a match? You know if, if it was if it was uh, West Brom versus Spurs, would I be watching? If uh, you know Spurs were fifth but guaranteed a place in the in the Super League and West Brom, well, yeah, I, I might even. Uh, you know, go out for a walk with the Baroness in sort of trying wow. to save my marriage as opposed to.
0: <laughs> well, do you know what, Kieran? If you're trying to save your marriage, I wouldn't turn off the Leicester Palace game and switch on a spreadsheet. That would <laughs> probably be my advice. <laughs> the Baroness must have got all, she must have thought, oh, Palace has scored early. He's got the hump. He might,
2: he might spend some quality. No, he's got a spreadsheet out there. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, so what the, what the Premier League are hoping to do, and un, under normal circumstances, they they might be a bit wary of this because under competition law, they have to be seen to be going to a a fair method, a fair mm. auction of the rights. But what they're hoping to do is so on the back of COVID, on the back that you know, quite a few of the clubs still have you know some some uh, positive vibes from the government because they've not used the furlough. Um uh, And therefore, that you know, they have been seen that they have showed some financial responsibility, is to roll over and repeat, which. Uh, no, I won't don't, say don't, that. Don't go down it's, that particular rabbit hole. Okay. Um, um, but to roll over and repeat the existing relationship they have with their senior partners in the form of Sky, BT, and Amazon and hoping to keep the same amount of money. So we would drop from having every single match on television, as we have at present, to just 200. Um, In theory, it would involve a return to 3 p.m. kickoffs with a blackout, um, although, again, again, that could be up for debate, um, and actually have matches taking place at the same time, which is something which we've not experienced for for eight or nine months. So, um, yeah, there are these proposals, and um, if they did that, I think actually it'd be pretty good value, as far from the Premier League's point of view, because the, the French TV deal was collapsed, the German deal's down around about you know ten ten percent at least. Italy and Spain aren't looking great. Um, you know, if, if I was the Premier League and the and, and Sky and BT offered the same money, you know, my gut reaction as, as a as a completely independent and uh, uh, uh unassuming observer would be to say, you know, snap the hands off.
0: It's it's funny. I th- I think most football fans counterintuitively would breathe a huge sigh of relief if you couldn't watch every game. I think that would be a, a would be such so yeah. relaxing. But also, do you know what it's very interesting, it's never occurred to me before, Kieran, when you talk about there's only a fixed number of people who want to watch football, that idea of attracting new fans to watch football on TV, because most subscriptions, of course, will be in households. You'll have parents mm. watching the football with two three children, and it will be possibly twenty years before those children are old enough to be in their own household subscribing as well so that 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 i've never it's never occurred to me that it's very difficult to attract new people because every football fan you imagine would be it, i let, yeah, i know there are people who out of um protest won't have Sky or BT subscriptions and that's absolutely fine and understandable but for the most part everybody who wants to watch football is already subscribing to something so attracting new viewers
2: is a very difficult thing for them isn't it yeah yeah and and the big fear of the broadcasters is people cutting the cord and football is the equivalent of I'm trying to remember this was it Soma in in Brave New World that uh, Aldous Hoxley used to write Huxley, about. Yeah,
0: yeah I, like, I, like many books, Kieran, I read it when I had to read it and then decided to read things I wanted to read, so I, I could Google <laughs> oh, I, it. I loved it, loved it. That's, that's, that's part of the whole world of literature, some things yeah. we like, some things we don't. I mean, I, I could Google it, Kieran, but as it happens, I don't know how to Google stuff when I'm recording things. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a sign of our old man. And he mentioned social media earlier. You, 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 you caused quite a stir from anxious Liverpool fans when you talked about their latest set of accounts which have just been released
2: well well, yes i mean i I think they're actually in in the context of a premier league which is in the middle of a pandemic they they're they're quite solid results on on a day-to-day basis they lost 74 million quid last year they they managed to to reduce that by about a third by a couple of player sales um, their losses the fact that their losses uh, were lower than those of Bournemouth and Southampton in terms of operations is uh, I think testament to just how crazy things got last year um i, I and, and i would stress to everybody do not take any of the accounts from clubs for last year too seriously because the covid distortions um in terms of um, yeah, You've only got 31 games in the Premier League, for example, up to uh, the 31st of May when when Liverpool's accounts ended, whereas normally you'd have a full season in. So uh, you're, all the TV money from the last seven games won't be included. Some of the prize money won't be included. Yeah, there, there are bits and pieces there which uh, just, just make the numbers... Um, be, be wary of them. That's all I would say. And, and uh, let, let's let's return to things over over a period of two or three years due to the COVID distortions. The most important thing is that Liverpool Football Club still in existence. And um, you know, as far as last year is concerned, just remember it as being the year in which Liverpool won the Premier League. Mm. No, don't worry about the numbers.
0: Absolutely. How how much would John Peel have liked to ban called The Covid Distortions? <laughs> been over, um, and for those of you uh, wondering, by the way, my favourite novel is The Master and Margarita by Paul, Paul Karkov, which is the arguably the best book ever written. I would take and but I've never mentioned it to you before because it's set in
2: Moscow. So it's a, oh well, I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get hold of it now. It's, oh, you is, is like he, it. has got a, yeah. Go on. Is it better got, than Who Are You? You well, know, you know,
0: *Who Are You* is not a, not a novel, Karen, is it? It's oh, not, but, true, true, but, true. true. It's... No, but I would no, I would not put my own book ahead of *The Master of Margarita*. Uh, the, the sarcastic cat is one of the finest characters in
2: uh, any <laughs> fiction.
0: Um, Swansea City have also put out their figures. I don't know why. Uh, I, every now and again, I'm slightly baffled as to why producer Guy picks a club um,
2: and, and mentions it. I, and I, I always assume it's because there's a problem. It, it, it's not a problem. Um, and nobody will see this as an issue apart from me. Ah. <laughs> um, what I really dislike is where clubs don't actually put out their accounts. They put out a one-page press release which says, these are the numbers in the accounts we want to show to you. Because my first reaction is, well, this is what you want to show to me. Mm. There must be something that you don't want to show to me. So, so Swansea made a profit of £2.7 million, and people say, well, that sounds that's, that's fantastic. Over 2019, 20, yes, they were receiving the parachute payments, but that includes player sales. So, you know, you, you can you can accelerate or decelerate player sales to to boost your profits or reduce your profits as you see fit. Um, it was noticeable there was there was a bit of a negative hit on staff numbers, but again, that that unfortunately is is a function of um, clubs being relegated, and and this is one thing which I think people. Don't see when clubs go down because normally you say, well, yeah, clubs go down, clubs go up, um, things replace each other. But when when big clubs go down, the likes of uh, Aston Villa and, and Sunderland, uh, you know, which are pretty big in the uh, in the city which they represent, mm-hmm. um, that the impact on jobs uh, at the club is huge. Um, so so Swansea t- took a hit um in terms of jobs but remember another club was promoted so there'll be there'll be more jobs replacing it in that it's just that when the big clubs go down the overall impact of uh, employment within the football industry is, is actually negative mm. it's not the first time this season we've
0: talked about data breaches kieran but this is quite a serious one. one hundreds of football index investors have had their identities revealed by somebody who really shouldn't be revealing people's identities
2: Yes, um, you know, the, the government does take us to task uh, in terms of, you know, we, we should be trying harder in terms of uh, protecting our own online persona and there, there's big advertising campaigns out and, uh, you know, there there is evidence that there are rogue nations out of there and I don't want to Mos- mention Moscow yet again, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly, um, you know, people who are, who are trying to get hold of our information. Well, under those circumstances... If you are sending out an email to people who have lost money through uh, their relationship with Football Index, use the blind copy option, which is available for all emails, and, and then to go and uh, send out another email half an hour later to say, "Um, we now realize we have given you the email addresses of every other person that's contacted <coughs> us in terms of losing money. Um, yeah, that's actually quite sensitive because if I'd been involved, yeah, you know, perhaps I would not have wanted the world and his wife to know Absolutely, that yeah. I've been involved with football index, potentially lost a hell of a lot of money. Um, you know, something. If people want to publicise it, that's their right. If people want to say, "I really need to keep this quiet," because you know what happens in in those circumstances and. Yeah, I'm not saying that this is right or wrong. Where you have lost a lot of money, and you've not told your spouse, or you're not told, the, you know, the, the rest of the family, and and you're looking at a at a, a five figure loss, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, it goes out to everybody, it gets passed around on WhatsApp groups, or it now appears on, you know, some it turns up on Facebook. Oh, did you go and see that Joe from down the road yeah, lost forty yeah. grand, and it, and then he's, you know, then their partner will say, uh. Joe, uh, mm. I need to a little bit of a word about this. It it just uh, – it, it's okay, it was an error. There was no malice involved, but the government really needs to be setting the standards in respect well, of this type of uh, uh, thing.
0: Of course they do, Kieran, because it's not long since that the government forced TV production companies, for example, to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on software, et cetera, to make sure that their their data were secure. Um, for them to, to do this, you know, mistake or otherwise, it doesn't fill you with absolute confidence, does it? Um, our next story, Kieran, is in a uh, part of our occasional series called uh, Closing the Stable Door After the Horse Has Bolted. <laughs> uh, <is> the Italian <laughs> More Football than Federation. occasional these days. <laughs> <laughs> the Italian Football Federation has approved a rule that would ban clubs who sign up to break away competitions from competing in Serie A. And you know, my problem with this, Kieran, and I understand why they're doing it, but do you not then risk that you force those clubs into an actual Super League? In future, if, if clubs like uh, the Milan clubs and, and Juventus and Roma say, right, well, if we're going to get banned, we, have, you know, we need to make more money. If you're going to ban us from competing, then we'll set up
2: our own domestic league and European league. Do you not run that risk? Um, I, I think that is a potential because remember that the Premier League is a separate institution yes, from yes, the yes, English Football, the Football League. League now, albeit and and you know we've got to give the right credit here. I think the Premier League clubs or the people involved, at least, they did go through the right protocols because they got approval from the Football Association. Um, but you're absolutely right. It, it and, and I think there is talk in the Premier League about introducing a similar rule. Um, where that would leave uh, a scenario where another Super League was being created um, is is uncertain because the, the, the unfortunately the Football Association at mm-hmm. present doesn't have a lot of credibility domestically following mm-hmm. you know, Greg Clark's somewhat calamitous uh, end to his career um, and, and there is a bit of a void there so it, it's not showing leadership. Um, could could clubs just say, well, we, get, we will set up a separate Premier League and invite another half a dozen clubs along um, and that will be a sealed division as well? And the Football Association says, well, well we won't let you play in the FA Cup and, and they'll just turn around and say, okay. Fair enough, yeah. Um, two more stories, Kieran, before we get to that really
0: rather nice interview. Um, firstly, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is being investigated by UEFA over, and I quote, an alleged financial interest in a betting company. I imagine he greeted that news with an indifferent yet slightly arrogant shrug, the sort that, the sort the producer guy gives when you ask him where the money is. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, just to clarify, is he being accused of making bets or of having an
2: investment in a betting company? No, I, I think the accusation is that uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic owns ten percent of a company called Bethard, which is based in Malta, where there seems to be an awful lot of gambling companies for such right. a small island. Um, and this would be a breach of the rules of UEFA because you know there is a potential conflict of interest here. Um, you know, if he was to, to win. But to me... Yeah, my gut reaction is that it is—is you know, is that any hugely different from the position of Bet Three Six Five, who owns mm. Stoke, who yeah. who in theory could say, "Okay, boys, uh, you know, make sure you concede four tonight," because um, we've got some big money on it. So, so yeah, I, I'm. It, it does seem a bit of a strange one. Um, you know, it, it, Bet Three Six Five have been really good for for Stoke City Football Club financially. And, you know, as, as you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the betting industry, but they've been very good for employment in the, in the potteries industry.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, did I tell you I used to run a potteries company?
0: Surprisingly enough, Kieran, no, hang on, let me just check my my, my list here. Hang on, hang on, I'll just do some paper. Uh, no, I can't see any, no, no, hang on, look, let me see, I've got Sex Shop, uh, <laughs> uh, Gay Nightclub, Blackpool, Drug
2: Dealers, hang on, Barbados, no, 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 no. You didn't. That, no, 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 I did. Yeah, that 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 had gone bust. Um, yeah, that, that was very good. Yeah, that, fantastic people, fantastic people. Love the people we so spoken. Uh, for, for those people, this, were... this is not where we got
0: that five thousand job lot of uh, price of football mugs from, is it? <laughs> yeah, the, the ones which uh, yeah <laughs> that we still have. <laughs> yeah, with football football with one O. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> creating scarcity. Guy said. <laughs> um yes, I, I understand. Kira. We, we we sort of joked about your conversations with Gordon Brown last time, but I understand that gambling in football was one of the issues he was
2: quite keen to, to talk about. Um yes, I mean the, the the gambling industry benefits significantly from football, um, because it provides a market um which appeals to the demographics which they're chasing um and with the uh, you know with, with 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 smartphone technology you you can put on 50 or 60 bets during a match and mm. indeed i have friends who, who do, do so um and they say it's part of the, the enjoyment and, and, there, and there was certainly a narrative um until probably two or three years ago when perhaps views hardened against the industry that the, it's more enjoyable when you place a bet on a match, and mm-hmm. you know we talk to people uh, from the from from those people that have suffered from gambling. Um, you know, that, that they they were sucked into that, and and mm. you know lots of people have lost as a result. Um, so uh, one of the things that that uh was was mentioned uh, in in the conversation with with Gordon Brown was, well, you know, we have a levy. Uh, as far as horse racing is concerned could there be a levy on football bets which went which goes into grassroots football uh yeah, although my personal view is that I, I i don't see why the football industry should be making up for a a cutbacks from central and local government mm-hmm. because that that's why there aren't the pitches and the facilities these days but but that's that's a, that's a much broader issue mm-hmm. um and yet yeah, Gordon Brown you know took that on board. bet three six five,, I've mentioned them once already. You know, I've been I, I, when I had to speak to uh, the all party parliamentary group on gambling, um I did mention that bet three six five's total uh, wages received were 50% of the annual NHS budget. Wow. So how did they respond? Well, in this set of accounts, they're not showing the total value of the bets they've received, oh. um, which uh, which is not not much of a victory for anybody. No. Um But in terms – back on topic, sorry, back on topic, um, he has been charged, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimović, and the penalties, um, he could face up to a 100,000 euro fine, which, let's be honest, he's not going to miss. Yeah. Um, but he could also face up to a three year suspension from the game, which, you know, realistically would effectively terminate his career. Which, you know, and, uh, you know, I've, I've seen him play. He, he is a magnificent footballer. And, uh, you know, he's, he's controversial with it, but, uh, you know, the, I think it would be a loss to the game if
0: he disappeared. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace, Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team
2: can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
0: You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football.
2: Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. Uh, our last story,
0: Kieran, seems slightly comical uh, when it first started, when Spotify founder Daniel Eck publicly stated his willingness to buy Arsenal while a game was going on. Um, but even though his bid has since been joined by Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp and Patrick Vieira, three of the greatest players to grace the Premier League, I think you'd agree, um, yeah. it's, it seems to be going nowhere because the Kroenke has issued a very, 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 very firm statement last night to say Arsenal is not for sale under any circumstances.
2: Yeah. The, the, the trouble I have with this, this bunch is that I keep mistaking them for the crankies. <laughs> and, and, and we both have a few showbiz stories involving those, which uh-huh. can't get past producer guy on the pod. Mm, no. um, because we, we do have an audience, which is uh, some, 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 we've got some younger members of the audience. Um, so, um, Arsenal football club is a private company. So, Stan Kroenke owns practically all of the shares. There's a few splattered about uh, amongst a few other investors, but he, he owns as as many you know, a huge number of shares. A few years ago, Alicia Usmanov uh, owned 30% of Arsenal, and he had been trying to get uh, appointed to the board of directors, and even owning 30% of the club, mm-hmm. Stan Kroenke used to turn around and say, no, you know, I've got... 65%, and I therefore I can do what I want. Um so I, I think what we've got here is a very stubborn billionaire. So whilst Dan Uwek, um has put out a public offer, um, and that offer, I believe, according to the newspapers, is is around about 1.8 billion pounds. And um that that did tie into a valuation I, I did Uh, About three or four years ago, Um, and remember Thomas Markham, who came on the show. Yes, um, yeah. Well, I used Thomas's model, and it was ninety-nine point, I think ninety-nine point eight percent, or ninety-nine point seven percent accurate at the time. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's he's a very clever guy, Tom. Um, I suspect that Stan Kroenke wants a wee bit more because otherwise, why not hold on to the club? Um, He is worth two or three times the amount of money that uh daniel Eck has so he's very much in a position to turn to say no he's had his nose put out of joint by super league um and i don't think he wants the humiliation of being forced out of town by a new kid on the block so um it was a very public offer um i did see that uh uh, Arsen Wenger said the best deals are done in private and this one is being conducted on Twitter. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I can understand the positions there. I think it would be very challenging to force this one forwards from from where we are at present. Interesting to hear you say that the
0: Kronkies are worth two or three times more than Daniel Ek, because the way the story was initially presented certainly on Friday night when it first came out, was, was like this guy, Daniel, could buy and sell the Cronkies and uh, this pretty much they would have no choice but to bow down to this ultra-rich billionaire. But well, That's a tautology, obviously. But, but of course, it turns out that's not the case. I was quite surprised when you told me that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the trouble is we're, we're talking about you know, ultra-high net worth individuals and where are trying to get a definitive uh, determination of their wealth is difficult because they have many fingers and they have many pies. But um, S- Stan Kroenke has been very successful, um, whereas Daniel Eck is still young. And, and yes, Sp- Spotify is is a very successful product, and he's made a lot of money on the back of that. And uh, yeah, unlike the musicians who uh, whose music is shown on Spotify, but that's that's a sep- that's for a separate pod. Yes. Um, but uh, he, if, if you've got a private company, you you it's private for a reason, and you you are able to simply say no to any offers and be under no pressure. Whereas, if it was a public company and somebody made a public offer for it, then then the directors sort of a duty bound to act in the best interests of all shareholders. Mm. Um, well the trouble is here, all shareholders is effectively Stan Kroenke, and Stan Kroenke will do whatever's in the best interest of himself. Uh, speaking of American owners, it's interview time, Kieran. We managed to
0: get a chat with Brett Johnson, who's co-chair of American club Phoenix Rising, who is now co-owner of Ipswich Town and has already made a very significant promise to Ipswich fans. Now, Brett, the, the, the first question, and it's important one, Brett, is are you absolutely committed to getting that tattoo?
1: Oh, that, that will be one of the happier days of my life. Absolutely. I, I, so I, I appreciate it. I guess for, for context to your listeners, I've, I have gone on record with stating that uh, we get episodes up to the Premier League, I'll, I'll be getting a tattoo to memorialize that. So yeah, I think that'll be a good day for me. Have you already planned what the tattoo will be? No, I've started to think about it uh, a little bit. I first and foremost, I got to kind of break it to my wife. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so i got to. I'm trying to take baby steps, but she she uh, she she doesn't follow me, you know, relative to any of this stuff. So I, I'm I'm wondering whether or not one of her friends, who maybe listens, might kind of break the news to her, or, or I'll just kind of say to her. Went on a future visit to ipswich road god wouldn't it be nice to have that logo just sitting on my shoulder or yeah. where, you know
0: yeah in my experience most wives are quite happy when you turn up with a giant horse tattoo on your shoulder <laughs> <from> her, <laughs> for no apparent reason um yeah, brett, brett before we talk about ipswich we, we are a global pod so can you tell us first a little bit about your involvement with uh, phoenix rising and what your ambitions still are for them
1: sure sure yeah so by way of background uh, first of all i should start by thanking you and telling you what an honor it is to be on on your podcast thank you uh so brett johnson by way of background about seven years ago i bought a usl franchise in phoenix arizona called arizona united and then we rebranded it to phoenix rising and i'm very fortunate to bring in an incredible group of partners and one of my partners convinced young didier drogba to join us and finish up mm. his career and join our ownership group uh and then you know, as I describe it, we've kind of been one of the more successful minor league soccer franchises kind of on and off the pitch since that time. And then started to think about how to use football in the most positive sense to drive social and economic impact and change. And I started buying up some rights to additional markets. I own the rights to Rhode Island. And then I also acquired a team in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, my partner, my co-chairman in Phoenix Rising, Bear K. and then Mark Detmer and I, we started thinking about acquiring Club in England. And we had a couple attempts that didn't reach, you know, come to fruition. So we're thrilled that what I would describe in our third attempt, we were able to kind of structure a off-market investment to acquire Ipswich and really, really excited and pleased with getting that deal done. And now the work, now the work really begins
0: was was d d a Drogba one of the people that led you towards english football
1: i you know possibly i mean we we had been approached like a lot of people to kick the tires on on newcastle um oh, oh, really you know, we we thought that was we thought that was compelling but again i I look at Newcastle and on a risk reward basis, incredible brand, but you know if you're buying it at the in, in the premier League, you've got a lot of risk it goes down. Yeah, and and probably not a lot of appreciation other than you know what I would say is it's an unbelievable brand that's probably not kind of punching in its weight class, uh, but you know happy for a lot of reasons that it kind of set us on a path to look at England, and uh, and then again ultimately get to the point where, when we looked all things considered, we just feel Ipswich is right right team right brand right culture right market you know, uh, right time. And so really pleased that, you know, with Marcus Evans support, we were able to get this to the starting line. Uh, can I ask
0: you what some of those reasons were then that they, they seem to be the right fit for you so quickly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, and if you look at all the boxes that it's checked on the pitch, I mean, all the, all the cups that it's won, the incredible pedigree of, mm. you know, Alf Ramsey, Sir Bobby, et cetera, Portman road as you and I were talking about before. I mean, the uh, iconic place to play. Um, I mean, just such a proud history that, that unfortunately for, you know, the last decade plus, you know, it has been, you know, punching below its weight class going in the wrong direction. And so I think, you know, relative to our aspirations, I, I, I think there's a lot of ways for us to bring it up and not too many ways for us to kind of bring it further down. You know, I certainly hope that's the case. You talked recently about the
0: history, the pedigree, and the gravitas of Ipswich Town, which are all things that the fans want to hear. And to my generation and to Kieran's, they were a brilliant, swashbuckling, continental-style team back in the 80s. Uh, presumably, you're learning more about the history all the time, aren't you? And then once you start to meet fans, you'll learn even more about it, won't you?
1: Yeah, every day. And, and I, you know, with, with whatever limited free time I have, I have been kind of engaging with fans and Actually, right before this podcast, I was talking to a fan and and he was telling me about his history with the club and then also just remarking about how it's a club that really would develop talent, uh, mm. would find and develop mm. talent, you know, ra- rather than kind of bringing in big names, you know, where any anytime that they've tried that historically, you know, from that fan's perspective, you know, it didn't work out. And I, I appreciate that, you know, those kind of conversations, every single one of those kind of lead you to appreciate and understand. You know what what you're a part of, so I'm grateful for that.
0: And you you said as well recently that to own a club you have to live, eat, and breathe the stuff 24 hours a day. That's not been an approach that previous owners have always taken, is it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you see that in a lot of professional sports where you know someone reaches a certain milestone with their with their balance sheet and then looks at these potential trophy assets and. I think, you know, maybe some of them can back into some success. But, you know, from my perspective, I've always kind of approached this as a business. I've always kind of felt, you know, by extension, it's not an ego play for me. I really want these clubs to succeed and they, they've got to succeed by winning. And then they also have to succeed by being a big and important part of the community. And, and, you know, that's where I feel very fortunate starting with Phoenix and now extending over the pond, you know, to be working with clubs that really do have the ability to kind of positively impact. The, the community and and I always feel an incredible responsibility. I, I honestly I, just, I don't say this just you know for I, I for a soundbite. I this is an asset that is part of the community. The success lives and dies by the support of the community, mm. and I, I view my role as to be a steward to kind of make sure that the community feels that sense of ownership and pride. And I lo- I feel fortunate just to play whatever small role it is, kind of tipping the scale to hopefully that end.
0: You've um, you've just earned yourself a lot of brownie points because you've used the price of football's favourite word when it comes to ownerships, which is stewardship. Kieran in particular, and I'll bring Kieran in here because you've always argued, Kieran, that a club owner first and foremost is the steward of a club for a certain time, haven't you?
2: Yes, because the the owners will be there, you know, ideally for as long as uh, possible. But the, the club will live on for generations, and uh, it, it's great to hear. Brett say, you know, that, that's his perspective of it as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, all his success at Pipswich. It, you know, as, again, as an, as somebody that's been there as an away fan, it's always been a great day out. And that, that's something which I think is unique in, in football. Uh, Kieran, I
0: want you to pay attention to questions running here. I know it's difficult sometimes when you're listening to me, but um, previous owner, Brett Marcus Evans, had to lend seven-figure sums to the club most seasons. So how do you address the challenge of being ambitious on the pitch and fiscally responsible of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, with utmost respect to Marcus for that commitment and to other owners, because as, as I describe it, it's certainly not for the faint of heart. Financially, it's not for the faint of heart relative to time. Um, you know, the amount of time that my partners and I put into all of the uh, assets that we have uh, responsibility for or have the pride and joy of being a part of um, you know it, it's a requisite if you're not putting in those hours and really making sure you've got the right leadership off the pitch getting the right players on the pitch uh, I, I I struggle to understand how you'll be successful um, and then you know I think our approach financially on this is you know we, we view every dollar that we put in as as equity if you will um, you know it's it's we we uh, and we intend to be good stewards of that equity, and we're seeking a return on that equity. and And for us, that's going to be because we ideally first stage get it promoted up, you know, to the championship, and then from there, I've, God willing, up to, you know, tattoo land, up to the EPL. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you've installed.
0: Oh, sorry I, I did. I want, That's terrible, isn't it? I accuse Kieran of having no attention span, and I forget exactly what it is I was going to ask him. It, it started, The 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 sum rumored to have been paid for the club is around forty million pounds, which to me, Kieran strikes as a bargain for a club with the potential and the size of Ipswich Town. Yeah. Um, I, I,
1: yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Kieran. Yeah. Uh- as as a League
2: One club, I think it's a fair price, and, and I'm sure Brett's done his due diligence and has been in the data room. Um, as a club in the Championship, then it you know, it starts to tip, uh, and once you get into the Premier League, then um, yeah, you know, then clearly it is a good price. But you know, as, as Brett, I'm sure has, has done his homework. Uh, it's uh, they're not easy steps, and and competing in the Championship is. Uh, it is a license to lose money, unfortunately.
0: Mm. Brett, you've you've installed Mark Ashton as CEO. He was Championship CEO of the year in 2019, and he obviously knows English football inside and out. What what do you hope to gain from him other than insight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, let's start from the fact that I think as an American who along with my American partners have tasted some success in North America, I think the greatest sin we could have taken was to think somehow our success could translate in, to, to England. And so, to, you know, to that end, I always felt kind of, you know, England's where smart money goes to die if you don't really get so, someone, you know, I, what I would describe as English, um, you know, to to really steer the ship and, I had the pleasure of meeting Mark Ashton several years ago at a USL board meeting, and was beyond impressed with the pragmatic, disciplined approach that he takes, both kind of on and off the pitch. And uh, you know that that impressed me. And as I thought to myself, if I certainly if I ever have the opportunity to invest or own any asset in that fine country, I wanted someone like Ashton, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the tent, if you will, on the team. Um. And, and so thrilled to have him. And I and again, I think you know that accolade that he won in 2019 is appropriate. I, his eye for signing talent and for monetizing it, it you know, is, is very positive because we we look at it as well these clubs. You you do want to make sure that you can find ways to find commercial success on in in addition to obviously you know performance success, if you will. And we hope to strike the balance between the two. But uh, and so I'm so I'm thrilled to have him at the helm I mean I also I think you know Paul Cook I've been very impressed with what he's done and I think he's the right manager for the club and we're going to be busy you know in this transfer window and ho- hopefully can really bring in the talent that's going to just you know not stop you know not stop at anything until you know this club is again at a minimum back up a championship
0: there was talk of dramatic wholesale changes over the summer is that just two playing staff
1: no I, I think I think we're going to I think we're going to change not just the playing staff, but we're going to invest in Portman Road. I mean, my understanding from a distance is it's a fairly tired, tired venue, and I think there's probably a a fair bit of what I'll call low-hanging fruit of changes to you know really have that the supporters that come first and foremost they recognize it on the pitch. You know, nothing, nothing more important for us than immediately having uh, what I'll say is that that the the 18 that are dressing are going to do whatever it takes and literally. to to win to get those three points, you know, week in and week in, week out, game in and game out, game out. But that being said, I mean, I I, I certainly want uh, all of the fans that the supporters that come from such great distances to support this club and who have stuck with this club during such dark days. Absolutely, yeah. I, I want them to kind of sit there and be like, you know, what? The, I, I noticed the food was better. I know the seat the seat was cleaner. I noticed the scoreboard was new. You know, just all those elements of it where they go away, and you know, ideally they t- start to turn to others in their universe and said hey you got to join me next time at portman road you know we're really starting to the clubs going in the right direction yeah you
0: you might start by doing something about the wall at the back of the ui end because last time i was there i accidentally knocked myself out over exuberantly celebrating what turned out to be a disallowed goal it's very hard concrete, Brett. You might like to do something about that.
1: Okay. You, we, I mean, we might might get you a helmet too. It sounds like you, you get
0: very... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's not a bad idea, actually. Like a toddler. Yeah, it, might, it might be safer to put a, toddler, <laughs> put a toddler's helmet on <laughs> you. You, yeah. you. You mentioned talking to individual fans earlier on, Brett, and it's clear that you're already establishing a relationship with them. How, how do you plan to engage with Ixwich Town fans as as a community about your plans? Do you intend to keep them involved? in what you're going to do and keep them involved at every level of the consultation process.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I can, you know, there's a, there's a limit, you know, to, to a certain degree, but you know, I am blown away. Um, you know, early on uh, this gentleman, Graham Brooke had reached out to me about his book adventures of a tractor boy. Mm. And I was very quick, you know, and, and, you know, to buy a copy. I didn't, he wanted to send me one. I said, look, I, I appreciate that. I'm going to buy it. I, um, and, you know, read it and uh, was in awe of his support. And, you know, if we could clone individuals like Graham, you know, and and in many respects there are thousands of them, you know, in Ipswich and there are thousands of them with these clubs all across the world. I mean, they, they really do. Their commitment is inspiring. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's one of those elements that one of many reasons why we will work tirelessly to, make this club a success is to reward individuals like Graham by extension, everyone that commits so much and that this means, means the world to them. Um, But I, so I, I've enjoyed starting to develop a relationship with him. I've started, you know, engaging with a lot of fans The outreach through, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, et cetera, has been positively overwhelming. And um, I, I slowly try to chip away at it and just acknowledge if someone took the time to reach out to me and say, thank you. And hello, I, I try to at a minimum just acknowledge and appreciate their support um, and don't take any of it for granted. And, and I probably, in some respects, you know, no matter how hard we invest, how how costly optimistic I am in terms of us getting this moving in the right direction. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes the ball doesn't bounce the way you're going to, we're going to have a couple games that are not going to go our way. And I, I guess I want as much goodwill as possible when, you know, during those days where, you know, you might have a bad run of form for a couple of weeks. Do
0: you know the the very name Tractor Boys, Brett. It's one of the beautiful things about English football where fans take something that was originally meant as an insult and claim it as their own and now, now proudly call themselves a tractor. You'll, you'll hear a lot of – you'll hear many versions of why, how that name came about and, and eventually you probably will get fed up with asked, being asked how much you hate Norwich. But in the meantime, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely joke. It's, it's really exciting for the fans, I imagine, to hear you talk about Falling in love with the club in the way you are, and falling in love with with fan culture. Can I can I ask you though, Brett, about a bigger thing? Can I ask for your thoughts on the Super League, and in particular, has it made it harder for fans? Do you think to trust American owners?
1: Yeah, I think so, and rightly so. Um, I, you know, I, I, as I said, I, Berkey and I were very quick to kind of, as I describe it, be on the right side of that. But that wasn't even a debate for us. It was, you mm. know, it, it was just natural and, and, and instinctive. Um, I, I'm as I I had a lot of friends reach out to me immediately, ask me what my thoughts were, and I was very quick to say I hope it dies a very quick and painful death, and um, and I'm very pleased that that it did. Um, I, I what I what I find interesting is whether it has any repercussions in some respects in North America, you oh, know, in, sure. in in the sense like in the sense is, does it potentially start to precipitate more of a dialogue about pro pro rel in these markets here. I and you know, I, I and I don't I don't say this because I play in a in a a league that would benefit from promotion because, you know, over the last three years, Phoenix Rising would have been promoted, you know, each of the last three years if we had that system. And and I honestly don't say it because I, I sit there and go, God, wouldn't that be great? We'd just save a lot of money, you know, we go up, we'd be worth that much more money. I, I genuinely believe it's just a lot more exciting. Mm. You know, you know, it, and it's not just in in the sport of football. I mean, you can watch a, a an NBA game kind of early in the season that has almost no bearing between two teams. You know, at some point, if they're not if they're they're no good, you start wondering about what their draft pick is going to be. Versus, wait a second, we might actually go down a league. And so you, you you'll find few Americans I think that are a bigger advocate or proponent of pro rel than than I am.
0: Mm. It's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the pods, Brett, and it's one of the things that English football fans, in particular, are still surprised by: is the the democratic way that American sport is run, as you'd say, draft picks, distribution of merchandising, wealth, etc. Are, are you aware of of what most football fans consider a, a very unequal distribution of money in English football?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fairly clear. And I think it became even more clear by this, you know, you know, ostensible power grab that, that again, you know, failed, failed miserably. And, and, um, but I think it's a sign in some respects, it wasn't necessarily a sign of strength It might, you know, you could look at it as a sign of weakness, just given, you know, what I would describe as kind of the irresponsible nature of, of the sort of balance sheet management of some of those bigger clubs. I mean, it's just it's staggering to think the sums that 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 gets expended with very little or no return. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what the ultimate reckoning is, uh, um, you know, relative to those clubs, relative to some of the Americans owners associated with it. I do I do probably suspect a fair bit of it will blow over. Over time, but we'll we'll see. Um, I also usually say whatever I whatever I say, whatever my pundit is, you should take the opposite of. So keep that in mind too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Kieran does that with me pretty much. That's how the pod works. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Brett. As as away fans, as I mentioned, Kieran and I have had some great days at Portman Road. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that you and I were chatting while Kieran was trying to work the the technology. God love him. And the first the first thing I said to you basically was if you could get the Drum and Monkey pub reopened in Ipswich, that would be fantastic. But do you know when you'll be able to, to get here for the first time, when you'll be able to visit Portman Road for the first time?
1: Yeah, so I'm really hoping in August, um, as, as soon as that first sort of home fixture of the new season is uh, you know, I have – well, I've been easier to break it to my wife about trying to make that trip than I have about <laughs> talking about a tattoo. But uh you know, now now I got now I gotta add the drum and monkey to the list. You, you do know, as I said. well well not only that, but also you've promised to take your daughter to Hogwarts. Have you told her? I to- know, I know, I can't wait. I can't wait. You're gonna to have to show me where it is. Well, it's um, not but- it's
0: not near Ipswich, that's the problem okay. you may have there. Have told- <laughs> right, right. Have you told your daughter it's, don't worry, I've bought this club, it's right next to Hogwarts. Don't worry. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's
1: right. No, it's uh my kids are excited, which makes the journey that much more enjoyable. But but, you know, again, from my perspective, gentlemen, I, it's an honor to be on your show. I And Kieran, I really am enjoying your book. As I said, I, I did kind of cut to the chase and go right to the post-COVID world that I need to focus on. But all, all that being said, it's it's an unbelievable uh, body of work. And I, I intend on digesting it and just kind of recognizing all the things I've been doing wrong for the last six years.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Brett, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. you. You talk about exciting. I imagine Ipswich fans will be very exciting listening to this conversation, because it sounds like they're about to embark on a, a a great new adventure. And we wish them all the very best of luck. And we wish you the very best of luck in the future as well. Thank you, Brett. I,
1: I thank you. I thank you so much. What a pleasure. Appreciate it.
0: There's a few things to unpack from that interview, Kieran. Um, and as I say, he came across as a very likable, very nice chap. I enjoyed talking to him. First thing, he's read your book then. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you send people copies of your book, Kevin. Oh, ah, okay. You, you just send them random copies and hope somebody will. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, in, in case I've now shamed him into reading mine, I, I should also own up to a little white lie that I told in that interview. Ooh. I, I did, I did, I did knock myself out at Ipswich in an away match, but it wasn't at the back of the away end. It was in an executive box, <laughs> uh, and I didn't, I didn't feel. I know I know. Brett's finding his way in English football. I didn't feel that the concept of blagging your way into an executive box and then getting so bladdered that you forgot the difference between a concave and a <laughs> convex window, which is exactly what happened, really. Just concave, convex. Who knows? It just came out of nowhere. And so, that's, um, But also there's a couple of serious points there. I, I, I like the fact that he's clearly buying into the culture of Ipswich Town, and that's great. He's learnt the history. He's passionate. He's talking to fans. But he's also honest enough to admit that he's doing this to make money. But some of the money, Kieran, comes from an investment fund that also manages Arizona State pensions. Will will that affect the club's approach? Will they have to be a bit more cautious when they're talking about money that's that's been invested in a in a
2: public benefit? Um I think major decisions would have to be approved. But and, and this is not disrespecting Ipswich Town Football Club, um, the value of the, the Arizona State Pension Fund is so huge that Ipswich Town doesn't register on it. Uh, right, okay. So, you know, I, I think they'll give them a, a fair degree of, of latitude as to uh, how they choose to behave. But I'm, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned now that you've confessed Waitrose and going in executive boxes. Your, your man of the people position is, is slipping here, Kevin, if you don't mind me saying so.
0: I think you'll find Nye Bevan said that uh, if a football fan could, <laughs> in the speech, speech he made in 1946, only the best. <laughs> no, I li- literally we blagged our way in. It was a it's a very Excellent. long story. <laughs> uh, who knows? Con- why would you even have concave or con... Why would you have mirrors that stick out like portholes on a ship? Not mirror windows. Well, why would... anyway, long story. But, uh, it was only we were an hour into the train journey home before. Uh, they were able to tell me that the goal I was celebrating had actually been disallowed. Oh, no! (laughs) I know, we'd lost lost 3-0. I I thought we'd won 1-0, we'd lost 3 years. It was was a good night, though. Um, Excellent. But but I think, uh, with all due respect to Ipcic's fans as well, I think the big news that came out of that interview would interest Newcastle fans, the fact that he was seriously looking at, at, and he said it went way beyond tyre kicking, that, he was seriously in the market to buy Newcastle United, and decided it it wasn't worth it.
2: Yeah, and if it, I, Newcastle to, to get Newcastle up to the next level would involve an awful lot of money because the, it it's not just competing against the big six anymore. We have seen Leicester, Leeds United, I think Villa. You know, they they've had owners that have come in and have spent um and and i think he's perhaps looking at it from the perception of to a certain extent you're going to get involved in an arms race because you're mm-hmm. you're competing for players in that particular pool and there's more and more clubs trying to get them um and it's going to cost you 300 million pounds to start off with uh, now if yeah we've seen uh, we have seen the owners of Liverpool, FSG, that they bought Liverpool Football Club for, for three hundred million dollars and, and could sell it today for for five or six times that amount of money very easily. So if you get it right, um it, it's great. But you know, Liverpool, to a certain extent, were a bargain at three hundred million pounds a decade ago. Um and FSG benefited from the fact that the club had been uh you know run poorly by Hicks and Gillette and, and who'd put the club on the brink and uh, they therefore picked uh, the club up to a certain extent as, as a distressed asset. It it certainly sounds though that uh,
0: Ipswich fans are in for a quite exciting time. It certainly sounds like they're in safe hands financially anyway, doesn't it?
2: Yes, yeah, I mean, we've had communication with Brett Johnson since, and he wants to come on the show again to to show what he's doing in the US. And I think that would be a fascinating mm-hmm. listen because it would broaden our horizons. Because he's he's very much committed to the idea of clubs being the the focal point of, of the community and all the good that they can do in bringing people together. And I think that's that's something which, yeah, you know, if, if I'm honest, at the start of when we you know go back to when we started this show um i i was sort of aware of but i've been coming sort of increasingly more and more committed to that position because yeah you know, we we've, we've had the opportunity to talk to the people at you know Tranmere and Accrington and Lincoln and, mm. and uh, other clubs where where this is so much uh, central to to the their ambitions for the club
0: mm. Kieran, it's Questions Day on Monday, so if you have lovely listeners, any questions at all on any aspect of football finance, then email us on questions at com. We didn't have time in the last pod for you to say your traditional goodbye, Kieran, but we've got, we've got a spare minute, I reckon, before we hit Guy's uh, golden overtime clock. So I'll pass it over to you to say goodbye.
2: Well, thanks again, folks, for your feedback and support. If you could press the the follow button, it's no longer a subscribe button on that big Apple Ooh. podcast or your Spotify podcast. And, you know, for Arsenal fans, you could be helping somebody take <laughs> over their <laughs> tenuous, tenuous link. Um, if you could give us a review as well, uh, give us those five stars. It, it, it genuinely makes a difference. I think I think we got up to number 12 in, in the sports podcast charts last week following Super League. Um, it, it, it's just that you know if if a uh, producer guy or kevin or myself or yeah you know, we approach somebody such as brett johnson or somebody else in the football industry and say uh, we're we're a couple of old blokes grumbling about football finance do you fancy coming on the show one of the first things that they're going to do is, is to see where we are in the charts and those five-star reviews we don't know how the apple algorithm works but we do know that it makes a difference so um you know apart from that thank you very much for your support and uh take care everybody. You see that's sensible advice
0: for getting algorithms sorted. My advice to Guy was phone people up in a Swiss accent. Automatically <laughs> <laughs> assume that they're on a decent pod. Bye everybody.
2: <laughs> the price
1: I have some photo